Tonight we're going to start uh, a really short sermon series on Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Uh, some of them are going to be somewhat familiar, uh, and some of them may be a little obscure, but I'm going to break it up into four different categories. Starting tonight, we're going to look at some of the prophecies about the birth of the Messiah. Uh, there's no way we can go through every single one because there are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, every single one that was prophesied, Jesus fulfilled. That's the important thing. But tonight we're going to look at the ones prophesying about the birth of the Messiah. Uh, the next one is going to be prophecies about the ministry of the Messiah when He was here on earth. The third group is going to be prophecies about the Messiah's death and resurrection. And then lastly, the Messiah and the kingdom that He ushers in, which is for us is going to be the church. Uh, we're going to begin with four passages in Genesis. I've got eight to look at tonight. Whether or not we can get through all eight of them, I'm not certain because I don't want to run too terribly long. But if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 12. And this is the first one we're going to look at. Genesis chapter 12. It's amazing how many prophecies about the Messiah are actually found in Genesis. Uh, we're going to look at one when we get to the uh, section about the, the Messiah's death and the very first prophecy about Jesus in the entire Bible. Does anybody know where it is? It's in Genesis chapter 3. But we're going to look at that one too, but not tonight because we're specifically going to look at prophecies about the birth of the Messiah. These are probably going to be some of the ones that are, are better known to us, but we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. And we are going to flip back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament, so you, if you want to keep your finger, because what I want to do is not just look at these prophecies in the Old Testament. I want to see and show where in the New Testament, the New Testament writers confirmed that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. You can make a prophecy, and if you can't prove that it was fulfilled, it doesn't do you any good. Uh, there was a fellow that lived a long, long time ago named Nostradamus who made a bunch of prophecies, and people have gone throughout history and said, well, this one came true, and this one came true, and this one came true. But more often than not, his prophecies did not come true. He prophesied a lot of stuff that was just crazy and it never happened. Every one of the prophecies that we're going to look at in these four sermons, we're going to look in the New Testament and see where the writers of the New Testament specifically said that Jesus fulfilled what the Old Testament prophets said. Uh, so we're going to do a lot of flipping back and forth. But Genesis chapter 12... This is when Abram is being called. He's not even Abraham yet. God is calling Abram, and he's making a covenant with Abram. And it says in verse 1, The Lord, that's Yahweh, said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And here's the prophecy right here. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The next couple of prophecies we're going to look at are going to specifically deal with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how we're going to be blessed. The entire world is going to be blessed. So that prophecy, if you want to hold on to Genesis and flip over to Acts chapter 3, we're going to see Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts, is going to show how this specific, specific promise made to Abram was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Acts chapter 3, I'm going to begin with verse 24, but we're going to look specifically at 25 and 26. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, 
and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. And that's specifically one offspring, Jesus. God raised up His servant, Jesus, and sent Him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. So you see Luke recording in Acts that Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy that God made to Abram all those years ago. Abram never lived to see that. But that's the first one. Go back to Genesis and flip over to Genesis 17. Abraham has died, but his son Isaac, who you remember, was the son of promise. This is the one that God said, I want you to take your son up to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And that itself was, a full, that itself was pointing to something that God was going to do for us. The mountain that Abraham took Isaac up on was the same mountain outside of Jerusalem where Jesus lived, and it's almost in the exact same area where Jesus was crucified. So the place where God spared Abraham's son Isaac, he gave up his own son. But he reconfirmed the prophecy or the promise he made to Abraham. And in Genesis 17, verse 19, God said, this is after God says, you're going to have this son, and they, they laughed. Sarah laughed. God said, no, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. So now you see the promises being transferred from Abraham's offspring now to Isaac's offspring. Now flip over to Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul. And I don't think we're going to get through all nine of these, but I want to get through as many as we can. But in Romans chapter 9, Paul is writing in the context of chapter 9 how Israel had rejected the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for, the one that they had been promised. They had actually rejected Him when He was here on earth. And in Romans 9 verse 7, actually start with verse 6, Now it is not as though the Word of God has failed, and he's referring to the fact that when Jesus came, they rejected him. Because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are all of Abraham's children his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And that's referring to Jesus. Not only did this promise made to Abraham and later reconfirmed about Isaac, not only did it apply to natural-born Jewish people, but it now applies to us who put our faith in Christ Jesus. We are now part of these, these spiritual descendants of Abraham and Isaac, and God kept His Word. Back to Genesis chapter 18, and we're almost through Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. The Lord asked Abraham, starting in verse 13, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son. That's not the right one. That's not the right thing, because we just talked about that. Let's skip over that one, because I've lost that reference. Let's go to Genesis 49. What I was supposed to be reading is how God reconfirmed a covenant once again through Jacob. And God said, not only is this descendant come from Abraham, not only did he come from Isaac, he's going to be a descendant of Jacob. And in Luke 3, when you see the genealogies of Jesus, it shows that Jesus was descended from Luke. Apparently, when I typed that up, I typed in the wrong thing. So I'm not going to take the time to look that up. So let's go to Genesis 49. 
I'll go back and find out what that was supposed to be and let you know. Genesis 49. This is referring to the king coming from the tribe of Judah. And if you go back and look at the 12 tribes, Judah was the smallest of all the tribes. It was considered insignificant at the time. And this is Jacob, who the, the last scripture verse was supposed to be about. This is Jacob as he's preparing to die and he's blessing his sons and pronouncing prophecies over his son. In Genesis 49 verse 10, it begins in verse 8, so let's start there. Judah, your brothers will praise you. And remember, Judas, Judah was the, the, the most insignificant out of all these sons. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? And here's the prophecy part. The scepter, and the scepter signifies the power of the king, the authority of the king. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belong to him." This is the reference. This is why Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah because He fulfills this promise or this prophecy that Jacob prophesied over Judah. And in Luke chapter 3, going back once again to Jesus' genealogy, it's really interesting when you understand that these names mean things. When you talk about Jesus being from the tribe of Judah... Uh, and, and the one we're going to look at in a minute, him being born in Bethlehem, those are things we kind of take for granted because we, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was from the tribe of Judah. But for the, those hearing that in that day, once again, Judah was insignificant. It was nothing. Bethlehem was a little backwater town that nothing important could come out of Bethlehem. But these were things that the prophet said. And in Luke 3, Luke 3, verse 3, he said he... he that's not right either. Luke 3, I got to learn 33. That's what it says on my paper. Luke 3, 33, the genealogy of Jesus. It goes down beginning. It says, verse 33, He was the son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon, son of Amminadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, and then son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac. If you ever read those genealogies about Jesus and Matthew and Luke, if you notice the names are similar in places, and in other places they're wildly different, if you ever wondered why that is, is one of them is tracing Jesus' bloodline, proving that He is a blood descendant of Abraham. In order to be considered the offspring of Abraham, you had to share His blood. So one genealogy shows that He is the heir blood-wise to Abraham, and the other shows that He is the heir to the throne of the king of David. One of, his, one of them is a legal heir, and one of them is his actual blood heir. So that's why they're different. But in both of them, you see Abraham and you see Judah. Uh, the smallest of the tribes, the smallest of the brothers, but yet that is the one the promise was made. That is the one that the Messiah was going to be born through and be the king of all the world. So let's get out of Genesis and go to 2 Samuel. This is a promise God actually made to David. In some of these cases, they were prophets speaking. In other cases, it was God speaking directly to the person that He was going to fulfill this through. So 2 Samuel. I don't have enough ribbons in this Bible. Chapter 7.
beginning, beginning at the first part uh, or the last part of verse 11, leading into verse 12. The Lord declares to you, the Lord Himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of His kingdom forever. I will be His father and He will be my son. Now, initially that's talking about King Solomon. A lot of these prophecies, when you look, they had a immediate fulfillment, and that's literally talking about King Solomon was going to be David's son, come from his own body, and he built the temple. But it's also a prophecy pointing towards another descendant of David, a blood descendant of David, who would sit on the throne forever. Solomon was king for just a little while, and because of things he did, God actually split the kingdom apart. And the northern kingdom was eventually destroyed, and the southern kingdom was taken off into captivity. But God told David, one of your descendants, one of your blood descendants, that's why those genealogies are so important. That's why it's important to show that David was a blood heir to King David because of this promise right here. One of your blood relatives, one of your descendants is going to sit on the throne and he actually forever, his, his, his kingdom will never end. And he will build my house. Now Solomon built the temple. Most scholars think when he's, talking to David about this house is the church. This is the, we are Not only are we the body of Christ, we are a spiritual house of God. So David, not even understanding what was being said to him, is being promised by God that way down the road, a descendant of his is going to be the Messiah, the everlasting king who will sit on the throne. And once again, we won't go back and read it, but we just read in Luke 3, in that section in the genealogy, that he was also a descendant of Judah. He was a descendant of King David. So he is the legal heir to the throne. Matthew in Matthew 1.1 actually says that Jesus was a son of King David. So those things are important. We had that study this morning. Yeah. I brought. Uh, this quote here where he will be my father and I will be a son. Yep. Hebrews quotes that too. As, you know, That's the incarnate. That is the incarnation. He had the name above all the angels yep. and everything. The author of Hebrews talks about that. Paul talks about that. Uh, when, when God is speaking to King David, says, Today I have become your father and you have become my son. That's referring to the incarnation, Christ being born in Bethlehem. And it's interesting because these things were prophesied generations before Jesus was born. Uh, just like this morning we looked at Elizabeth and Zechariah, Malachi prophesied that John the Baptist was going to be born long before, hundreds and hundreds of years before Elizabeth and, and and Zechariah were even born. It's always been the plan that Jesus was going to have to come to earth. I don't, I don't know how to explain it any better than that, but Paul says before, the found, before creation, God knew that that was what it was going to take. And it kind of makes it even more sad when you see how the Jews missed it while they were here on earth. Because it's right here. Those that knew the Scriptures and knew these prophecies, they knew where to look. They knew what to expect. But they knew that it's in Micah, which we're going to look at in just a minute, it said where he was going to be born, what tribe he was going to be born, and they still missed it. Uh, the next one is in Isaiah chapter 7. This is probably one of the more familiar ones. This is where we find out that the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. But Isaiah 7, Isaiah 7, 14... 
Actually, I'm going to back up to 13 because this ties back into the ones we just said. Isaiah's prophesying, this is after David has lived and died, but he says, listen, house of David. He's reminding those descendants of what had been promised, that the Messiah was going to come from that family, was going to come from that line. Listen up, house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And that literally means God with us. And we see that in Luke chapter 1. We also hear it every year during the Charlie Brown Christmas special when Linus is reading. One of my favorite things I've ever seen on TV is is little Linus reading the gospel. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, and this is actually going to be in the sermon next week, so we're getting a head start. Gabriel's talking to Mary, saying, you are highly favored. You've been chosen by God. And he says, you're going, to have a, you're going to have a baby. And in verse 34, it says, Mary says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's not going to happen. How can I? I'm not married. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. She has even conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary says, well, let it be as you said. Isaiah said that the virgin would give birth. The angel visits Mary and says, you're going to have a baby. She says, I can't. And the angel confirms what Isaiah said all those years ago. The next one is in Hosea. This is an interesting one, I think. We've got two more to go. Hosea chapter 11. Verse 1, this is the prophet explaining how much God has loved His chosen people, Israel. Remember, Israel was a person's name. It was also the the collective name for God's holy people. And then once the kingdom split, it was actually the name of the northern kingdom. So when you're reading through the prophets, you have to understand, is he talking about the northern kingdom, which was going to be destroyed, or is he talking about Israel as God's people? In this case, it's talking about Israel as God's holy chosen people. And this is what the prophet says. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. That's referring to the Exodus. God decided he was going to create this nation. That was the promise he made to Abraham. Abraham didn't see it, but he said, you're going to be the father of a nation that's a mighty nation, a chosen nation. And then we see God working all that out through the Old Testament, and Israel becomes God's holy chosen people. Because God worked everything out and got Joseph down there in Egypt. When the famine, everybody moved to Egypt. And there they grew and became a huge mighty nation. And then when you get to Exodus, the Pharaoh that that remembered died. And then God's people are persecuted. God raises up Moses. And this is talking about history. It says, remember how much God loved you, Israel? He rose Moses up and He delivered you out of Egypt. He called you out of Egypt as His holy beloved child, and delivered you into the promised land. But the interesting thing about it is when you go back and study the Exodus and the life of Moses, the parallels between Moses and Jesus, the Messiah, they're there if you pay attention. Uh, 
Moses is what they call a type of Christ. He's not the Messiah, but he is a type of Christ. In fact, Moses even told the people that there was going to be another prophet who was like him that would come one day the same way he came. And Jesus, if you remember that conversation he had with his disciples, it says, who do men say I am? You remember their answers? Some think you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Some people think you're John. And then some people think you are the prophet. And that was the one Moses was talking about. Well, Hosea says, God called his children up out of Egypt once, but he's going to do it again. And in Matthew chapter 2, we remembered what happened when Jesus was born. You had King Herod. And you have this King Herod and the wise men, or the Magi. And he devises this plot to go send these wise men to visit Jesus at this house wherever he was living. And he says, and come back and tell me so I can go worship. And fortunately, the angel visited them and told them. And then Herod was so furious that, remember what he did? He killed all the boy babies two years and under. But, remember what happened? Joseph got a vision from God in a dream and says, Take the family and go where? Go to Egypt and stay there. And so Hosea, although he's pointing to their past, how God had delivered them out of Egypt, he's pointing to the fact that the Messiah is going to be brought up out of Egypt, just like Israel was, just like the parallel. And in verse 13 there in Matthew chapter 2, it says, After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. I like it when the New Testament writers tell you where it says it. Sometimes you have to look. Matthew says this is exactly what Hosea was talking about. The parallel. And then the last one. Micah chapter 2, this is probably one we're familiar with. It's another one that if you, if you kind of go past it, it, you just kind of miss it. It's just a blip. But Micah, he's, he's actually prophesying about a lot of things. He's prophesying about how the northern kingdom had been destroyed and they being taken into captivity and they were going to come back from exile. God was going to preserve His remnant and bring them back and fulfill all these promises that He made. But there's still this Messiah that they're waiting for that's going to come and be this king. But in Micah chapter 5, and this is actually in the context, it's about something completely different. And a lot of these messianic prophecies show up in contexts that have another meaning. The Isaiah one has different meanings. But Micah says in chapter 5, Now daughter who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Does that sound familiar? They beat Jesus in the face. But here's the one right here. Bethlehem, Apathra, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And in Matthew chapter 2 we see that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is interesting because Mary and Joseph didn't live there. They lived in Nazareth. But because they were both, and this is why those genealogies are important again, because they were both descendants of King David, which is one of those prophecies, one of those promises, they had to go back to their ancestral home, which was this tiny little town of Bethlehem that was nothing. 
but it was where King David was from. It's where David kept his sheep while he was waiting to grow up and become king of Israel. And it may seem insignificant, the fact that Mary and Joseph both, if you trace their, they were both descendants of King David. They were both descended from the tribe of Judah. And because the Roman government of all people says, you have to go, they wouldn't have been there if it hadn't been for the Roman government. And it just confirms that God uses all sorts of people and all sorts of situations to cause His plans to come. Romans 8.28, He works together all things. Mary and Joseph would have had no reason to be in Bethlehem at all had it not been for the governor and the king who said, you have to go back and register so we can tax you. And that's what it was all about, was paying taxes. But it led them back to Bethlehem. And here in this little oddball section in Micah, it says, I know Bethlehem's not that big of a town. It's not that important. And I know the clan of Judah, the tribe of Judah, is not that big. But wait till you see what God is going to do through the one from that tribe born in that town. Notice his origin is from antiquity. That can be translated from everlasting to everlasting, from ancient times. And it's just cool. Uh, Something that we talk about every year this time of the year, his birth. I like the gospel. I love to read Luke's gospel. But it's interesting, and this is just eight that I just pulled. There's a lot more in here. Uh, that God had every bit of this planned. Every single one of these prophecies, and as we go through the other, there's about 55 we're going to try to briefly look at through these four sermons. 55, and that's just touching the surface. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. They're all throughout the entire Old Testament. They incorporate all sorts of people, all different groups of people. But yet it was all part of God's plan. Before He ever created there, that's the part that always amazes me. That's the part when I explain this to kids. It's like, go back to Genesis when it says, in the beginning, and it's just God. He hasn't even made the world yet. And that's hard for an adult to wrap your mind around, but it's really hard for kids. Before anything... God knew Jesus was going to be born in a manger. And that's amazing to me. It makes this time of the year even more special to me. And I hope stuff like this is interesting to you. Um, like I said, some of these about the birth. He will, she will be born of a virgin from Bethlehem. There's the one about he'll be wrapped in the swaddling. All that stuff was prophesied. Uh, the ones that are going to get really interesting is when we look next week at the way Jesus ministered while he was here on earth. Because some of the things he did and said while he was here on earth... We read about it in the Gospels, but the prophet said that he was going to do these exact same things. So that's what we're going to look at next week.